Hello, my name's Russell Howcroft. I've lived a lot of lives. I've been an ad man, a CEO, a chair, an author, a panelist, and I currently co-host a radio show on 3AW. And I'm partner and chief creative officer at The Sayers Group. And I'm host of this podcast. Welcome to Conversations, a Sayers podcast. Throughout my time, I've learned that so much in life starts with, yep, a good conversation. And that's what we're going to do right here today. My guest is Kate Cornick, CEO of Launch Victoria. So Kate Cornick is the CEO of Launch Vic. And I'm really keen to find out all about Launch Vic because I've got a feeling everyone that's listening to this podcast, if they haven't heard of Launch Vic, they'll be really pleased to hear about it. And then if they have heard of it, they'll be pleased to learn more about it because it is an amazing organisation. So Launch Vic is the Victorian government's $60 million initiative to accelerate startups, drive new ideas and create jobs in Victoria. I love the sound of all of that. Launch Vic works in partnership with entrepreneurs, industry, business, the community and educational institutions to strengthen Victoria's entrepreneurial and startup ecosystem. And Kate Cornick, welcome to Conversations. Thank you very much. It's really great that you've come here to have a chat to us because, as I said, I think there'll be so many people just fascinated to learn more about Launch Vic. But before we do that, we want to learn a little more about you. Now, Cornick, um, English? I am English, yes. So tell us a little bit about that. So I emigrated in 1999 to... Ultimately, very sadly, following my mother, who had emigrated because my older sister was here, and I'd effectively dropped out of uni in the UK, bummed around a bit, and she said, let me pay for a one-way ticket. Nice. The one-way ticket turned into a lecture that I was going to university, or I could find a job to get pay my way home to the UK. Okay, mum strict. I, uh, <laughs> I, I ended up going to Melbourne University doing electrical engineering, and loved it. Okay, so electrical, electrical engineering, so... What does that mean with regard to what the university would have expected you to do in life? Well, the degree was about becoming an engineer and I specialised in telecommunications. Perfect time to be in telecommunications because by the time I graduated, I ended up staying at uni for so long because I and did a PhD because I loved university so much, so I felt the PhD was a nice opportunity to stay on. Amazing. Specialised in telecommunications, specifically around fibre optics, and of course that was... Graduating in 2007, around the time that fibre to the Absolutely. X was being <laughs> contemplated. So, nice. um, yeah, I ended up uh, getting quite involved in the NBN. I, I love it. So, I think maybe you should explain fibre to the X because I think I get that that might be a telco in joke. So, just explain that a little. I think I get what you mean. Well, fibre to the X means the X, you can put what you want in that X. Um, and The home. The home. The node. The node. The end of the street. Yep, absolutely. The, the beginning of a village. Yep. So um, <laughs> I have to say I was a very strong advocate for the home. Um, I reckon. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, something that, um, you know, I felt very strongly that Australia's broadband coverage at the time was really quite poor. Yep. And we have to have our fundamental business infrastructure in place to be able to work in this world and thankfully our internet's come a long way since 2007. Okay, so how are we in terms of speed? When we rank speed, I've got South Korea as the fastest in my mind, maybe that's not right, but how do we rank? Uh, to be honest with you, how we rank today I'm not so familiar with, but we're certainly not the top. The, the top nations would be Singapore, South Korea, Tokyo, Japan, mm -hmm. um, but they've also got the benefit of geography, so yes. they're not trying to roll a, 
a, a network out over an enormous geographic continent. Which is more than fair. So perhaps what would be fair is how is Melbourne's speed in comparison to Japan? I would say good, not great. Yeah, good, not great. I mean, we, we should all routinely be having 100 megabits per second at home, if not more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know I'm on the NBN. I rarely get those sorts of speeds. My speeds are closer to 40, mm-hmm. 50. Um, and, and we've all been testing it, right, as we've been working from home. A lot. And, you know, like many families, we've got, you know, multiple people trying to do jobs, you know, people do, doing homeschooling and all sorts. And, you know, the internet's really being slogged at the moment. Okay, so then the role that 5G plays in making me faster. Well, the role in 5G is very important because we are wireless and we do want to disconnect. We don't want to be tied into a cable. But basically, the, the closer you can get the cable to the end user, the faster your speed is going to go. Right. And so, you know, 5G is an important tool, but you still need the fixed line behind the 5G network to connect it all up to be able to deliver those high speeds. I got it. All right. So um, we didn't come here to have a conversation about telco and speeds, but I, but I know who to speak to when it comes to speed, in particular at a selfish level, my home, because I, I don't know what's going on in my house. It's incredibly difficult to get the speeds that you want. Anyway, so Kate... This whole thing that we're doing here is having a conversation um, because we just believe it says that, you know, really great deep conversations are the beginning of awesome things. So ideas obviously come from conversations that, that ignite people, get people excited. The energy that comes from great conversations is really critical. So what I'd like you to do now, Kate, is just tell me about the best place in your mind's eye that you go to for conversations. Oh, goodness. I think there are so many conversations. I think, um, you know, as a startup founder, it's often the conversations around the pain points. So Mm -hmm. you might be sitting in your office going, why won't this damn system work? It could be done so much better. And that's the ignition to go, well, you you can go off and do something better. Why don't you do it if you think you can do it better? So I think there's those pain point conversations around that. There's conversations with friends and family that might be more towards lifestyle and, uh-huh. you know, wanting to have a different life, not be nine to five in an office. And not that any of us have been in an office the last couple of years, but you know what I mean. And then there's the conversations out networking and meeting great people around town, you know, whether it's Melbourne, whether it's you know ultimately international interstate and just, Enabling those creative juices to flow. Mm-hmm. So um, do you like having a chat to people on a couch by a fire or do you prefer a boardroom? Ooh, I would be a couch by a fire, glass of wine. Nice, all right. Yeah. Well, let's imagine that that's where we are right now. Um, couch, fire, wine. We don't have any of those, but I, it's, yeah. not that hard. it's not that hard to imagine, is it? No. So tell us about – so just tell us about the job. Yeah, so probably to tell you about the job is telling you a little bit about start, uh, LaunchVic and, and what we do and startups more broadly. So the first thing is that startups are a term that's used quite a lot now. When I first started this job five years ago, people used to ask me, what's a startup? And now you get any entrepreneur saying, I'm starting a startup. Yep. For us at LaunchVic, we're really focused on the businesses that are growing using technology. They're typically disrupting markets. They're targeting global opportunities and notionally have a potential to become a billion-dollar company. So think companies like Xero, Airwallex, Facebook, Mm -hmm. Spotify, Mm -hmm. those sorts of companies. Okay. And why we want to grow them is that we want to make sure that Victoria and Melbourne are a place of technological entrepreneurship. Yes. The alternative 
is if we don't grow these companies, we just become purchasers of technologies that are grown overseas, mm-hmm. like we are in the case of Uber, Spotify, Facebook, and others. And, and that means we lose high skill jobs because the engineers, the people that are running those businesses are in California, they're in Europe, where, wherever they may be. Mm-hmm. So I feel very passionately that in Victoria, we have got some of the best and brightest people in the world. We've got a phenomenal education system and we can innovate, but we have to be supported to innovate. Yes. Innovation is really hard. So why do we need that support? Why, isn't, why, why is government money required in the first place? So I think it goes down to what... The, the, the unique cycle of a startup is starting as a really tiny company, two to four founders typically, and then growing to a company that has 200 people if they're successful over a really short time frame. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's been in a high growth company knows that's really painful from how do you get the capital to grow? How do you support your HR to grow? How do you support business op- ops to grow? And so you've got to take people on that journey. And there are very few entrepreneurs in the Australian market that have actually been on that cycle. If you go to the Valley, you'll see multiple um, multi-generational entrepreneurs. So yes. they founded a company, they exited it. They found another company, they exited. People who were in that company, when it exited, went back in and having had the experience of growing, started another new company and you have this flywheel. Yep. And we haven't quite kicked that off in Australia in a significant way yet. So people have to be supported on that journey. And I think the thing that, most underpins that support is the access to capital because you've got to grow a company faster than you can bring in revenue. Yes. Because if you are trying to just rely on revenue, someone, you know, it's the butterfly flaps their wings, someone's flapping an idea in Australia, someone's got the same idea in Europe, someone's got the same idea in the US, you've got to beat them to market. Okay, and you only beat them to market if, you've, if, you're, if you have the ability to spend the capital ahead of the revenue. Correct, or attract the capital, typically. So that's where the venture capital market comes in versus private equity. Venture is a specific sort of capital that has a lot of uniqueness around it Mm -hmm. specifically to support these companies. Okay, so you've got – the headline is it's a $60 million business that is launched, Vic. So where do you put the $60 So we actually very – Gratefully to the Victorian government, they have more than sixty million. So we've we just recently got one hundred and ten million through through the uh, last year, late last year in the budget. So where we put that is in multiple different places to solve market failure. And okay. so the market failures we're looking at are on the founder side and on the investor side because it's effectively a double sided market. We're trying to bring together people with bright ideas with capital that's going to help them grow. So on the founder side. It's really a horses for courses problem. And we have founders that are fresh out of uni, that have no business skills. They may not ever have even worked in a business, but have an absolute gun idea. And you've got to help them turn that idea into successful business. So you've got to wrap business support around them. Mm -hmm. Equally, you have people that are technological experts that absolutely fundamentally understand a climate problem or an engineering problem or a manufacturing problem and they understand how to do that but they have no business or communication skills you've got to teach them to get the communication skills or wrap people around them that can fill their gaps and likewise you've got people that are often older and it's worth noting the average entrepreneur in victoria of startups is 42 years old which is the same as silicon valley okay people think of it as being uni students and i think that's the glamorization of facebook and and seeing some of the the anomalies rise up as role models but the average entrepreneur is 42 years old and they may not have the tech expertise they might have been that person working in their office going this system sucks right 
they use the system, they understand what they've got to do, but they have no tech skills. So how do you wrap tech skills around them to make sure that that is going to be the best possible tech company it can be when the founder's got no skills? So Kate, um, this is a slightly tangential question. Have you ever read a Hollywood script? I have never read a Hollywood script. So when you read a Hollywood script, one of the things that um, certainly I discovered was how the hell do they know that that's going to turn into a good movie? So how do you know that an idea is going to turn into something that the market is going to appreciate? So you don't is the short answer. And there is both an art and a science to this. And that comes to the other side of the market, the investors, because the investors are the ones that are picking the winners. And, you know, anecdotally, an investor of startups will pick 10 startups. One will absolutely blow it out the park. There'll be, you know, ideally a 10x return, if not a 100x return. Five will fail yep. and four will return money. And so you've got to have a portfolio that you're backing enough potential winners to be able to pick that 10x company or 100x, whatever it might be, that's going to reco- recover all your losses on everybody else, but also earn you some investment along the way. And, and, and so if there's a real skill and there's both an art and a science to this. And mm-hmm. not everybody can be a great startup. Well, put it this way, not everyone is a great startup investor. Everybody has the potential to become a great startup investor. But just like you wouldn't send people out to share trade without having some knowledge behind them, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be going out doing startup investing without having some knowledge behind you. So tell me, um, we always, well, we refer to Silicon Valley. Yeah? So Silicon Valley, deep culture, entrepreneurship, etc. So tell me where else in the world is, you know, when you go, oh, I actually quite like that model. Where else is it happening at a, at a peak level? So... To put it in perspective, Melbourne is around 36 in the world at the moment. So 36 cities ahead of us. That was going to be my next question. Thank you. (laughs) And, you know, who are the people at the top of the list? Um, London um, came out of the GFC. We can touch on that if you're interested. I think it's a very interesting time post-COVID and and how disruption happens. You've got Israel, which has got some very unique points about its geographic, um, where it is located geographically in the world and its defence um, systems and that's led to, to great strengths in startups. Tech comes out of defence. Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe the other way and around. vice versa. Yes. Yeah, and Boston, New York, amazing. In Asia, you would definitely look at Singapore. Tokyo's had a meteoric rise in their startup ecosystems. China is just phenomenal. What's going on and just the sheer amount of money that's being poured into any city in particular in China. Oh, look, I, I think. It, it's across the board. It would be Shanghai and Shanghai. Beijing, yeah, that yeah. Would, Beijing that would be leading, but you, you've got Shenzhen and, yeah. and others that are... So Shenzhen, does Shenzhen position itself as the technology you know, centre of the world? It, it's certainly the telco, telco. centre in, 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 in China. Yes. And, and then, you know, as Silicon Valley was, and it morphs into broader innovation and particularly, you know, telco has enabled so much to happen in our society. I mean, quite frankly, we couldn't have survived a pandemic the way we as a community had if we didn't have the telco infrastructure in place to support us to work, school, connect with our friends and family. If, if Imagine if that had happened in the 90s. I mean, it would have been a very different outcome. Indeed. So if you think about London, Israel, Boston, New York, what I'm wondering is, is it a close connection to the education sector that it also contributes to those cities being good at this space? Yeah, look, great question. And in Silicon Valley and Boston, absolutely. You've got MIT and Stanford and the nexus between those universities and the startup ecosystem is unbelievably strong. Um, I think in other ecosystems, 
it, there is a nexus and it is stronger than what we've got in in um, in, in Melbourne mm-hmm. and, and Australia more broadly. But I think it's also always a challenge. And as someone who's worked in and around the university environment, there is a difference between an inventor and an innovator. Yes. Inventions, what happens in the universities. Innovations, what happens in business. And there are very few academics that can really eloquently transition those two worlds because in one world you're trained that 99 is good is not good enough you have to be 100 percent right confident in your data going down the rabbit hole turn left turn right turn left turn right in the business world you wake up in the morning as you know and you get to spend 10 percent of your Go. time on a big problem you can't spend 20 percent because you're going to let something else fall over so you know if 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 20% is good enough on that day, that's good enough. And and so the two psychological profiles are actually really very different and you, you, it's very hard to, to transition. As a result, I think we end up with the universities in Australia have really driven the innovation and, and, and been pillars and you see the enormous investment, which is fantastic, into research and we do need fundamental research and that's, that's really great. But what is missing is that translation out into the business world. If you look at the top ecosystems in the world, PhD students, for example, play a really critical role in that translation. And you look at MIT and Stanford, you go there to do a PhD so that you can get some bright ideas, work on them and start your own business and leave. And your professor sits there and they might become a technical advisor and you go off and start your business and the professor earns money via your business and it's a win-win situation. In Australia, certainly when I did my PhD, you went to do a PhD to be trained to be an academic. Right. There was no business skills whatsoever. In an area like engineering, which is fundamentally entrepreneurial, my PhD resulted in some IP being created. It was not me that was encouraged to, 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 to commercialise that IP, um, although I, I certainly had a lot of interest in it. Um, and it did get spun out into a Victorian company. But, um, you know, it, it's, I think there's an opportunity to really look quite closely at this link between education and, and startups. At the moment in Australia, that really is not strong. And in Melbourne, we have, we have data and, and our own anecdotal experience at Launch Vic. Very few startups start at a laboratory in, in a university and within a year out of the university in a commercial business. So I'm, I suppose I'm pleased I've led you down this path because, well, I, I, my question is, is it part of Launch Vic's, Launch Vic's remit to build that bridge? It is, but it's also we're here to solve the market failures. And if you look at the average age of an entrepreneur who's 42 years old, you know, the, most of the people who come to us with really great ideas that are credible are not your university people. No, They're okay. people who've had business experience. So we do develop programs with the universities. We've proudly supported a number of Victorian universities, but actually the bulk of the entrepreneurship is happening out in the community by people that have experienced a pain point, have a dream, have a vision of, of, of creating a business of their own and are doing that. And so we're very much servicing that part of the community I think it's an area that we could certainly do a lot more in. Is there a marketplace that exists for PhDs? So, so, I'm just trying to think of, is there a way, because this has been, this discussion has been a discussion that's gone on as far as I can, for my entire life, the need for us to connect the academic world to the business world in a better way than we currently do. And we know that there are thousands of PhDs in Melbourne. There are literally thousands of them out there. 
Um, and I believe, say, in Parkville, for example, in the sort of, the, you know, broadly speaking, the medical world, it's like 10,000 PhDs. Is that right? There's 10,000 researchers, I think, including PhDs. But, yeah, there's an enormous number of people that wow. are unbelievably smart. Yeah. I think the, the challenges and having worked in, 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 in a role at Melbourne University as Director of Innovation and Industry Engagement you, you um, and, and run research centres at, at the university – Often it's not the research that's the innovation. It's the widget the researchers are using to do the, the widget the researchers yes. are using to do the research that is the innovation. So the widget and, is where the market might lie, and the widget's where the market lies. Yeah. And the researchers don't have, you know, as a whole, you know, I I, I had never looked at P and L or a balance sheet until I left university. Yeah. It was not part of my training. And so I had no business skills when I left. I had a lot of engineering skills. I had a huge amount of knowledge in, in fibre optic communications. But that is, is a gap. So if you can't understand the markets that you're, you're operating in, you can understand the problem but not the market, yeah. there's a disconnect. So, and and so there's an opportunity to bring that together. And we have proudly supported a program between Melbourne Uni and RMIT, which is a, a, a called MIT Talent Pathways, which is about bringing PhD students in who have got that far in their belly to start a company, who are working on something in their PhD and wrapping the business skills around them so that they are learning how to run a business at the same time that they're doing their PhD. Right. And I think those sorts of programs are really very interesting and, and we look forward to seeing the results at the end of the program. So if we think about sort of the big economic waves that are going, so we've got sustainability, mm -hmm. would, we, I don't, would we call it that, like the sustainability <laughs> wave? We've got the internet of everything wave. Um, we've got the sharing economy wave, I suppose, that there's, and therefore platforms are the solution to the mm -hmm. share economy. So uh, there might be some other big things going on that's just, <laughs> you know, off the top. So they're big waves. Mm -hmm. Do you, again, is part of Launch Vic's remit to encourage investment into the big shifts that are occurring in the economies of the world? In a way, yes. But we fundamentally start that we want great business ideas and great business ideas are, are generally because someone's got a fire in their belly about something. Right. So if government comes in and says, we want all entrepreneurs to focus on climate change, you know, mm -hmm. it would be great for our community. But if, you don't, if you're not passionate about climate change and don't have an understanding of climate change, you're not going to be the best entrepreneur you should be. Yep. So we would love to see climate change entrepreneurs, and we do through a program, for example, Startup Bootcamp that's got a climate change program where climate change entrepreneurs can go and, and upskill in their areas where, where they need some support. Um, but if you're an entrepreneur, you've got to know if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, like a Facebook founder or an Airwallex in, in Victoria, a Culture Amp, et cetera, you're going to have to put 10 or so years of your life into this baby that is going to be worse than a baby because it's going to just consume every breathing hour, uh -huh. create an enormous amount of problems for you. Um, but you've got to be so passionate about that idea that you're prepared to take the plunge and, and, and deliver that idea. So it's really hard to say to someone that's really passionate about um, financial services to say, well, no, you need to focus on climate change. Yeah. They're like, we, we don't care about climate. Yeah, they might personally care about it, but they don't have that business knowledge to, to, to show. So it, it's a... And it's part of LaunchVic's job is to change the way government is working with industry in a way. Previously, and, and, and still in traditional industries, government can come in and set strategies of how we're going to increase sustainability in industry. How are we going to improve manufacturing in our regional, in our outer suburbs? You can set policies. 
when you're working with entrepreneurs, you're actually bringing it right back to the individual. And so it's really hard to turn around and say, I want to suddenly dictate that all entrepreneurs must focus in this area. You've got to support them wherever they come up. And in a strong ecosystem, you certainly see strengths and the strengths typically reflect the strengths of your industry. So, you know, we have seen multi-decadal um, investment into biotech and health and life sciences. We have. Unsurprisingly, one in five startups in Victoria are focused in biotech, medtech and life sciences. Mm-hmm. And that comes from, you know, 20 plus years of, of solid government investment, investment into Parkville Precinct, investment into Monash. And you, you see that coming through um, in, the, in the ecosystem. So you do see those strengths. So you, you, you can sort of start to focus on particular areas. And particular clusters, and presumably. particular clusters, yeah. yeah. Look at another area, though, like agriculture, which is a really strong export industry for Victoria. Yep. We've actually got a really underperforming startup sector. So, you know, right now Launch Vic is working and, and we have a, a, a program out that we're trying to get people pre-accelerated programs. So these are, I've got an idea, how do I even start? Like, how do I get over that initial hump? These pre-accelerated programs, we're looking at establishing a number of them in partnership with Agricultural Victoria to say, well, we need more entrepreneurs to actually take the jump. Okay. And, and so how do we support them? And so we should have a really strong ag tech sector. We don't, and we're working on it because it's a market failure. So there, there, are, there are areas where we can sort of come in, but why ag tech? Because agriculture is such a... Yeah. So we sh- we, we, it's not like we have agricultural experts mm. that are not entrepreneurial. I do not believe we do not have hundreds of ag tech entrepreneurs out there. We do. We just need to support them to say, I've got an idea. Okay, you've got that idea. How can we help you turn that into a successful company? This is awesome, Kate, because, you, well, where you're going is a conversation I've had lots of times. The, the idea that, yes, we do need to become a more sophisticated economy, but it makes sense for us to become more sophisticated in the stuff that we're already good at. So we are we are good at primary industries of all shapes and sizes. So let's concentrate our entrepreneurial and our technological effort in the industries that we're already good at. Is that fair? C- completely agree. And, and I'd extend that because if we don't become good technologically in those industries, what happens is you just get technology brought in from overseas. And so we end up with our primary industries paying for high-skilled jobs in other ecosystems around the world. And we just become the dumb end of the system and all the bright, high-skilled technological jobs are sitting elsewhere. Now, that's not to say that our primary industries are dumb, not at all, but we... The world is changing. The world is technifying. We yes. are becoming technological. We should be leading that. And if yeah. we can lead it from Australia, we can export that to the rest of the world. Otherwise, we're just purchasing. And, yeah. and what future does that create for us? <laughs> so, for example, Israel. Israel's brilliant at water. Mm-hmm. water Absolutely. Te- water tech. So how do, we, how do we rank in water technology? I'm going to guess that Israel's above us. Absolutely. Right. So there's something that we ought to concentrate on. Yep. Absolutely. And 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 you know, the, Israel actually is really strong in agriculture. Ag tech is a really strong sector for them because they also are strong primary producers. They've got a, a very strong agricultural sector, and they've also got some real constraints geographically and 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 and, and you know within within the geopolitical environment, and that's led to innovation. And so they've really leveraged the challenges that have befallen them to innovate and become world leaders. And I think that, again, takes us back to London, GFC. Massive financial hardship. A lot of very skilled people lost their jobs and they had to innovate because they had to create jobs because there were none in the market. This is what I love about that time because people said, especially, you know, 30s, people in their 30s, 
they said, I don't have a job anymore. I better start a business. Correct. And London is now the biggest financial services hub in the world, fintech hub, because of the innovation that happened from all those young people. They were my peers that had graduated in the early 2000s. They'd been in their career somewhere between, you know, five to eight years and they were just at the time where they were getting into their, you know, middle management roles and they were kicked out on their backsides. And now that they're and saying they had to thank innovate. you. <laughs> Correct. And and London, I mean, this year, London has produced a billion dollar company a week. No. Yep. So <laughs> it we, kills me. We we have 18 over the last 20 years. Oh, come so on. We have an opportunity here, and it's ours of whether we choose to take it. And, I want to take it, Kate. Come on. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kate, tell us who's... Okay, so we've got ourselves moderately depressed. So tell us some good stuff that's going on. Well, the good stuff that's going on is COVID has actually impacted our sector very positively. People have, have, have embraced technology in a way that we never have before. So there's new markets opening up. We've had 11% jobs growth in the last two years in the startup sector, um, which is phenomenal. We're probably the only sector that's achieved that level of jobs growth. Super. We have, in the last um, six months, had three billion dollar companies exit in, in in Victoria. So you know we are we're really starting to 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 see the fruits of our labour pay off. And what's more is when those exits happen, people create wealth for themselves and they reinvest back into the ecosystem that they know. Right. And equally, talent leaks because you know executives that have have been on the journey exit the build exit the building that's exited and they go back in and and help other companies grow and they've got that experience. So experience breed experience and the more we can kick this flywheel off, the better we will be. And, you know, if we look at ecosystems around the world like Israel, like Singapore, it's taken 20 years of government investment to to reach sustainability where government is no longer really required. The flywheel flying. We're five years into that and we're growing very fast. Okay, that sounds good. So there's it, there's some creative there's a creative side to what you do, of course. Um, culture, because you you you're in the you're in the business of changing our culture. I suspect. Well, I don't suspect. I know. So how how are you going? Because that one's a tough one. It, it's actually a, a it's a funny one because we um, we don't want to reproduce Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley has got a really poor culture. It's, you know, people put Silicon Valley up in lights. It deserves to be in lights. But there's been a very bro culture, you know, 30 to 40-year-old men working all hours of the night, party hard, work hard. And the culture has been really, you know, historically not very inclusive, um, Not whether it's ethnicity, gender, sexuality, etc. So we need to read a different culture and you know when I came in everyone was saying let's recreate Silicon Valley well one will never recreate Silicon Valley that's had close to 80 odd years of government investment way back in the 40s that has led to Silicon Valley being what it is so we're a long way off being that and Silicon Valley was unique (laughs) um, in that it sort of really centralized and was a reflection of our time right because Silicon Valley was at a time when industry was centralized and now we've got technology you you can build a billion dollar company from wherever you don't have to be in the hub for billion dollar companies Indeed. so you know there, there's some unique things around that but we also want to make sure that we are taking the best of silicon valley culturally and 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 driving what driving off the back of our strengths that already exist in in melbourne which is really renowned for its culture and its creativity Indeed. and accelerating that all together. So one more question. 
I suspect also part of your role is coaching. It certainly, it's a big part of the role of the people that we support. Absolutely, and obviously, as a CEO, I think your job is <laughs> CEO. You should be a coach. If yeah. you if you're not coaching your team, um, you, you're not doing a good job. But big part of the ecosystem is coaching. Correct. Uh, and I suppose a subset of, of coaching, encouraging people to take that. It was when you said earlier, it's a ten year journey. That one that really did hit home because that obviously is correct. Um, where a lot of people will have ideas, but have they got the energy, the capacity, or frankly, the ability to focus for that long is something that I, I imagine takes a huge effort. So I, I'm sure that you must have to encourage a lot of people to take that first step, but all those steps afterwards that get us to that 10-year journey. Well, there's also the bit that once you're in the race, you've got to finish it. So you know, you're not focusing on the end line. You want them to start the race. And, okay. yeah, there's a huge part of this that's inspiring people to follow their dreams and giving people the the guts to, to step up and, and start that company. I think we've come the, – the world's come, particularly the developed world's come from a nine-to-five, get your safe job with your well-known corporate brand and climb the ladder, and the world's shifted now. That's not the way of the world. So startups are a great way to build a, a, a lifestyle for yourself that is completely different. Fantastic, Kate. We've been speaking to – well, we've been having a conversation with Kate Cornick, the CEO of LaunchVic. It's been fantastic speaking to you, Kate. We really appreciate your time. I've learned a lot. I've got angry and I've got inspired all at the same time. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.